One day out of nowhere, the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary and announced the Savior's birth. Upon hearing the good news, she had this to say, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Isn't that exactly what we are here to do tonight? Some 2,000 years later, it is so meaningful that we can gather in this place to exalt the Lord and to rejoice in God our Savior. Merry Christmas to you. The carols, the choir, the empty cross behind me, they all remind us of the reason for this very special season. We are here to worship Jesus Christ and to celebrate His birth as you know. And on this, this eve of Christmas Day, I'd like us to open to wor the Word of God together for just a few minutes so that we can savor the hope of Jesus. Many of you are here right now because your greatest hope in life is Jesus Christ. By far, the number one reason you can look forward to tomorrow and next year and even eternal life is Jesus Christ. He is the reason. No matter what yesterday and today holds, no matter how unbearably hard life might be, or how surprisingly pleasant, many of you here can say, my greatest hope, no, my only hope is Jesus Christ. And tonight I want us to reflect on this gift of hope from God, the gift of His only Son. You see, for many, many people, there is some good cheer at Christmas time. But come January, it begins to give way to some pretty deep discouragement and fear and depression. I am convinced that apart from Jesus Christ and His Word, I would be in that camp today to some degree or another. But oh, the hope that I have found in Jesus. I know many of you echo that. In the interest of time, and because life is so short and precious, I attended a memorial service just two days ago. Because life is so short and so precious, allow me to, to get right to the point and ask you a personal caring question on this Christmas Eve. Is Christmas just a happy time for you, or is it a hopeful one as well? Will there be good cheer as you move into the new year, or will it begin to fade? A number of people here tonight are suffering hardships and, and trials, unexpected difficulties in life. Other of us, others of us will encounter some in the year to come. I want to make sure that every one of us walks away from here tonight with hope. The hope that I'm talking about could be defined this way. No matter what today holds, I know all will be well in the future. 
perhaps you would agree with me. If I had to pick between happiness now or hope for later, I would choose the latter, especially if we are speaking of hope forever. I'd rather know that the hardships of life are temporary than that the joys would be temporary. I'd rather know that everything is going to work out in the last chapter, particularly the last chapter of life, when we walk through that door of death and into eternity, that's what matters most. And one of the most hope-giving, truth-giving, spiritually guiding texts in all of the Bible is found in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Listen to these words in their poetic form and, con and consider whether you have ever heard anything so hope-giving. The Holy Scripture says, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us. Speaking of Jesus, the Messiah, Messiah, the Savior of all who will believe, it says, And the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. I have had the privilege of meditating on these verses for weeks now. And the more I study them, the more awestruck I am at how wonderful these words are to you and to me. Let's walk through this text so you can see with your own eyes, and I want you to hear with your own ears what I mean. Verse 6 begins with these two phrases, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us. Now, typically... A child, a son being born, would not be so globally noteworthy. But the words to us change everything here. You see, the Messiah was not just born. He was born to us. The text says he was given to us. That means to God's people, Israel, and by extension to all who will believe, if you walk away tonight remembering only one thing, perhaps it should be this. The Messiah was born for you and for me. The angels affirmed this when they appeared to the shepherds in, in Luke chapter 2, verse 11. And when they said, for today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. God himself affirmed this hundreds and hundreds of years prior in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 15, which says, The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. We celebrate Christmas because the Messiah is for us, to us, and with us. Christmas is extremely personal. 
It's not just a holiday. It's our holiday. The verse continues. It begins to tell us why this gift is so meaningful. The next phrase says, and the government will rest on his shoulders. Now, it's almost a crime to bring up politics on Christmas Eve. But if you watch the news, if you watch last month's elections, then this verse means something to you. When it says the government will rest on his shoulders, that means he is going to rule the world. Jesus Christ will reign supreme. It's why he's called the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I hate to say it, but the more presidential elections I watch come and go, the more I look forward to President Jesus, King Jesus. And just for the record, he will not take office because of some electoral vote. He'll take it, and he has taken it, because he is God. Listen to these words in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 24 to 26. It says, then comes the end. Speaking of the end of the ages, the end of the world, the end as we know it, it says, when he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father, speaking of Jesus, handing over the kingdom to God and the Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. Every time I turn around, Jesus just gets better. He's not just going to rule over the world. He is going to rule over life and death. Why do we believe this is true? Because he conquered death at the cross. He would come back to life three days later, and he did. And many, many people saw him with their own eyes. They touched him with their own hands. They heard him speak with their own ears. His resurrection impacted world history. It changed the world. And when that kind of power says, I'm going to the rule, I'm going to rule the world, including life and death, we have ample reason to believe him. We can have hope because the governments of this world are not our Savior. We look forward to a Savior whose reign will be far, far supreme. That is real hope. As the verse continues, we see Jesus now called by four attribute names. These are not just casual names. They are who He is. They define His very being. In the sports world... G-O-A-T, goat, does not refer to one of the animals at the manger. It refers to greatest of all time. When someone gives Michael Jordan that title, greatest of all time, that name portrays who they believe him to be on a much grander scale, an eternal scale. The four names in these verses tell us who Jesus is. Here's the first name. It says, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. He's the giver of divine wisdom. He gives the most excellent instruction. His guidance is wonderful and trustworthy. 
It's spectacular to behold. It's beautiful beyond all other. It's practical and it's spiritual. It's for this life and for the next. Isaiah chapter 28 verse 29 says, The Lord of hosts is the one who has made his counsel wonderful and his wisdom great. We could spend all night listening to person after person in this room tell how the wisdom of God and the wisdom of his word rescued them from a terrible life. How God brought truth to them that was exactly what they needed to hear. I have heard some of you share these testimonies just in the last two weeks. I've heard some of you in your 70s and 80s testify that the counsel of God's word still, hands down, is the best and most wonderful wisdom you have ever found. I say the same. It's why God pulled me out of my music career of 24 years for the humble, awesome privilege of standing here and speaking God's word every Sunday and in between. We celebrate Christmas because Jesus Messiah is our wonderful counselor. Here's the second name, Mighty God. Do you even need me to explain that Christmas would not be the same if Jesus was weak? We have hope at Christmas and going forward because this baby was and is and always will be the Almighty. You know what it's like when you're watching a movie and, and the plot inevitably has the, the poor people, the lowly, the weak, who cannot defend themselves and are just being trampled by tyrants. And then comes the conquering hero in the movie. That's what makes the movie so good. Jesus is the hero of our life. But like I said a minute ago, it, it keeps getting better. He's the hero of eternity. Ponder that thought. He is mighty God. Colossians 1, 16 to 17 says, For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or, or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That is a pretty powerful God. 1 Chronicles 29, 11 says, yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and the earth, yours is the dominion, O Lord, and you exalt yourself as head over all. But think about this. He's not just the mighty, exalted, great, and powerful God. He is that for us. 2 Peter 1.3 says, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. We celebrate Christmas because Jesus Messiah is our mighty God. We can look forward to tomorrow, no matter how hard today might be, because God is going to win.
He is going to conquer. And look at how this, this personal nature of God to us continues in the next name, eternal Father. This speaks so wonderfully to the measurement of the relationship that we have with Jesus Messiah and the Father. He's not just God, he's our Heavenly Father. And that is a world of difference, as you know. But he's not just our Heavenly Father, he is our Father forever. I have to believe this speaks volumes to any adopted child. Any person who lost their dad early in life, any person who lost their dad at any point in life, to know that God is not only there for us, but that he will always be there for us is a value and assurance and treasure beyond measure. But why is this eternal relationship so valuable? It's because of who our Heavenly Father is. He's Almighty God. He's Wonderful Counselor. As we're going to see in the next name, He is the Prince of Peace. That's our Father. Anything less than that, and our eternal relationship might not be so desirable. It might not be so hopeful. But how great and perfect and desirable our Father is. That's why Galatians chapter 4, verse 6 says, Because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. That word, Abba, is more akin to Daddy in the English language. How close... How intimate and safe the relationship is between those who follow Christ and God, their Father. No wonder 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, encourage us to pause and ponder when it says, See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called the children of God and such we are. End quote. We celebrate Christmas because Jesus Messiah is our eternal Father. Here's the fourth name in our text for today. Prince of Peace. And who couldn't use a little peace today? Oh, how we long for peace on earth. You see, governments and power and peace are inextricably tied together. When one is off, all will be off. But when Messiah rules in righteousness and supreme power forever, the end result can only be peace. And he is the prince of it, the scripture says. But did I mention that Jesus only gets better? We not only have the hope of a future peace on earth, not only referring to God come down in that little baby, but particularly referring to the second coming of Christ in his, his millennial reign, which will usher in his eternal kingdom. 
But we also have the deeper truth of Romans 5.1. Listen closely to this. It says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, peace on earth is a distant second to peace with God. Peace in heaven, peace forever in his presence. As much as I love peace with my family and my friends and in the community and between nations, peace with the Almighty does seem a little bit more important, doesn't it? Ephesians 2, 12 to 19 captures the good news of Christmas the gospel so well. The Apostle Paul said, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. He's saying that was you. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Meaning, he died on the cross for you to take the punishment of your sins, my sins. Verse 14 continues, for he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near, For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. There is nothing like being part of the family of God. The Bible says that those who repent of sin and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and His Word as their hope, their truth, their Lord and Savior, their King, will be saved. That's Romans 10, 13. Friend, if you have not received the greatest gift ever, if you've never made it your own, And put your faith in the words of Scripture and Jesus Christ himself. Won't you believe and accept him into your heart and life today? Believing in and following Christ is the greatest decision I ever made in my whole life. Many of you I know would say the exact same thing. You are shaking your heads yes at me right now. Marrying Ruth was an amazingly good decision. But even she doesn't compare to peace with God and the sure hope of His love and forgiveness of sin and the eternal hope of life forevermore with Him. You see, Ruth cannot give that to me. 
And I hate to break it to you, but Trump can't either. You already knew that. Verse 7, it repeats now in grander form and scope the eternality of all these points. It says, there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. No end to the increase. Sometimes I look at society and I think, it's getting worse and worse. In the moment, that may be true. But in the big picture, which is the one that really counts, in the eternal picture, there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. Christ will reign as prophesied. Where prophesied? How prophesied? He says, with justice and righteousness. For as long as prophesied, from then on and forevermore. With the arrival of Messiah bringing in the kingdom of God at hand, as Jesus himself said, to the second coming of Christ and the increase of his reign, to the total fulfillment of his reign in the last days, we see that it will get better. This is the eternal hope of the believer. Daniel chapter 2 verse 4 says, In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever. I don't know about you, but that's the kingdom I want to be a part of. As we wrap up, look at how the verse ends. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. So much meaning in each of the key words in that phrase. God is not just going to accomplish his will. He is going to do it zealously, with fervor and passion and energy and excitement, with grandeur and magnificence. Just read the book of Revelation if you haven't already. Read it again. The fervent energy of God will cause these verses to happen. It's like a fire that will only burn hotter and hotter, an intensity, intensity that cannot be squelched or lessened in any way. That steam locomotive is coming and there is no stopping it. But how is God specifically defined here? The Lord of hosts, the Lord of the multitudes, the Lord of all, the one who will reign over all nations. It is he who will zealously accomplish this. We hear the unquestioned certainty of what has been said in these verses. This will of God is predetermined and zealously unstoppable. God will do it. This is why our hope in Jesus is so assured. This is why we celebrate Christmas. I trust your hearts are encouraged. 
and refreshed with the Word of God on this Christmas Eve. If you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, if you're not a follower of Christ, but you're interested in who He is and what He offers and what these verses can mean for you, I urge you to read the Word of God for yourself. See the words with your own eyes. Hear the truths with your own ears. If you have questions, of course, I would love to visit with you, and I know most of the people here would as well. Nothing could make this Christmas greater than accepting the gift of the Savior in your own heart and with your own faith. Many of you have done that already. For those who have, for those who already worship and celebrate Jesus as their Savior, I leave you with the words of 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. It says, Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him because we will see Him just as He is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on Him purifies himself just as He is pure. Let us not only celebrate Jesus, but let us also honor Him and His Word in our hearts and lives, this is how we truly worship and celebrate the Christ child. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, tonight we exalt you and your Son. We rejoice this Christmas in God our Savior. Lord, there is no greater gift than the gift of life that you have given, eternal life through your Son, Jesus Christ. Hope like no other, comfort and assurance like nothing else we can find in this world. Wisdom and truth that transcends time true two and 3,000 years ago, still true and changing lives today. This is why we celebrate your son's birth. It's why we rejoice in this season. Oh, how we thank you for all the blessings around us. Family, friends, provision of our needs, so much more. But, oh, we give thanks the most for Jesus Christ himself, your gift to us. I pray, Lord, and we pray together that we will honor you, your sacrifice, this gift of love, by pursuing holiness and purity in this life. Not that we might be saved, but because you have already saved us. It is only good and proper, honorable and worthy that we follow after you, 
live our lives for you as you call us to do. So may this Christmas, Lord, be merry in your sight, first and foremost. Then we know it will be in ours as well. We love you, and we thank you for your love for us. And all God's people said, amen.